All right, you guys ready to get started this morning? A lot of them faces I've never met, so that's very encouraging to see a lot of new people that have never been through the foundations class, people I don't even recognize here at the church, so that's really neat. It's kind of hard to touch base with everybody to catch all the new people that come, so it's really neat to see new people. And this is one avenue for us as pastors to meet new people. So I want to introduce myself. My name is Ben Bufkin. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Word. My wife, Estelle, is here. And um, we've been married for 13 years. In a, it was 13 years this December, December 13th. And uh, we have three children. My son, uh, he's 10. His name is Joel. He's in the class back there. <clears throat> and I have a nine-year-old girl named Eliana and a two-year-old girl named Reagan. And uh, we've been here at Living Word. I've <clears throat> been attending for Living Word for seven years. Seven years? Approximately. She says I exaggerate numbers. It's not because I intentionally try to. I just don't have any sense of time. I, but I do know we've been married for 13 years. That's the most important element there. Um, uh, and I came on full-time staff as an assistant pastor in 2013, January 2013. So this uh, January made four years staff here. It's been a wonderful time working here at Living Word Church. And so one of the things that we enjoy, one of the things I enjoy to do is to teach this class. I think this is maybe the ninth time, tenth time. I think I've taught through it, something like that. And um, we switched up the format uh, two or three times back to where uh, we kind of spread the, spread the load of the, of the teaching of the class. And so I'm going to teach the first two weeks. And then um, Brother Freddie Fry will teach the second week, second two uh, Lessons and the last two will be Brother Derek Dunn, and so this this foundations class is you know for 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 some of you if you've been saved for any length of time you're not this is not going to be new information for you, you know if you've been a Christian for two or three years four years plus this is going to be a re- refresher course for you and maybe some of the foundational truths that you hear here um, maybe you'll hear it at a different angle from a different you know a different perspective from three different pastors and you'll get something new. For, for some of you, if you're a new Christian, um, it, it, a lot of this stuff is going to be really great foundational truths for you that will help solidify your, your Christian life. Um, for some of you, if you're here because um, you're, you, you were told that you had to go through six weeks of foundations before you could serve, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you've made the commitment to be here because we think it's important that all of us at Living Word, all the volunteers, we're all on the same page. We all know, we all believe the same fundamental things. And, and then it's a way for us, you know, to know who, who's serving with us. And so thank you for being a part of that. And so um, basically what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the foundational views of the Christian faith. Kind of where, where, where we come from, why we do what we do, and it's going to be really, really basic. But... I think it's a really great lesson. So let's open in prayer before we dig into the first one. Father, I just thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to gather this morning. God, I just thank you that we have the opportunity to, to learn from your word. God, we just are dependent, we're dependent upon you. We trust you. We trust that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word to each one of us, that we would learn something new, that we would learn a little bit more about who you are. God, as we learn about who you are, as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is going to continue to conform us into the image of Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Turn down this AC. Good morning. No, I just started. Here's a book. You just sign in. Right there. My wife is thanking me for turning up that AC. Okay, so if you open up to the first page there, foundation class number one, it's titled In the Beginning. I just want to say this real quickly too. I, I, I asked a lot of you your, your, your name that I hadn't met uh, at the sign-in table. Um, so uh, I hope to keep to, I hope to remember your names. I'm going to forget most of them. It's pre, pre-warning. <laughs> so, so for a little while, it's going to take me a while to get used to your name. So when you see me, you can just, we'll shake hands when you're here next week and you can tell me your name and just assume that I don't know your name. <laughs> and we can go off of that. I do know Scott. I talked to Scott for a couple of minutes here. Okay, so in the beginning. So why lay a foundation? What's important about a foundation? Has anybody ever built a house before? Not necessarily with your own hands. Maybe you hired somebody to build a house. Uh, my wife and I, we self-contracted a house back in 2008, nine range. I always look to her for times because I just, again, whether it was 07 or 2010 really didn't matter, but we self-contracted a house. And one of the the hardest things to get done when we were self-contracting was the foundation because it was a rainy season and we just could not get the contractor, the, the, the concrete guy to come out there and to pour the slab. It was too wet, but we eventually got it done. I had to threaten to go with another guy and he finally came out there and poured the slab. But if anyone knows about a foundation, it is the most important part of the structure of your house. And, and, and actually, after he poured the foundation, the guy that we hired to frame up the house, he goes out there and he's doing his measurements. He's looking at the blueprints and he's like, you know, on the back side of your house, you're about six inches. You're, you're, you've lost six inches somewhere back there. And uh, this is not going to really work. And I said, well, <laughs> we can't change it. <laughs> the foundation is laid. We will readjust the blueprints. And it, I basically lost about six inches of my back, my back patio. And that was okay. But the foundation is the most important part of the structure of a building. And I, I believe personally the most important part of the structure of who we are as human beings. What, we, what do we fundamentally believe about life? What do we believe? Who, who do we believe is uh, caused everything that we see. You know, what, what, what is the foundation of our life? The foundation is the most important part of any structure that is built. Without a proper foundation, the integrity of the building is jeopardized. So it is in our lives. Unless we build a solid foundation, our lives will be open to the attacks of Satan on our foundational beliefs. So at, from a Christian perspective, if you don't have a solid foundation about why you believe what you believe, then whenever your beliefs come in contrast or in conflict with other belief systems, uh, then sometimes if you, you'll struggle, well, do I, is what I believe really true? Can it really hold up? And so the enemy can come and can attack in your mind and cause you to doubt the truth of God's word. And, so, and, then, and then you take it even more into a practical standpoint. If you... You know, you believe that God is real. You believe that Jesus is his son. You believe he died on the cross for you. You're a Christian, and you believe all those things to be true, and then you come up against temptation to sin. The enemy comes, and he attacks you, and he tempts you to sin in an area, and you know it's wrong, but if your foundation is not solid, if you, are, if you, have a, if you don't have a solid foundation in the truth of God's word to believe that the lie of the enemy really is a lie, then it's a little bit more difficult to resist that lie without the solid foundation of truth of God's word that has 
permeated your mind and your thinking and your heart. And so this is why a foundation is important. And then, of course, in, in Scripture, this is a really famous section of Scripture here. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 7. And He talks about the importance of a foundation. Matthew seven twenty four says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. But as you know, there's a couple interesting things about this section of Scripture. First of all, everyone's building a house. Everyone's laying a foundation. Everyone has a foundation that is laid in their life. And then secondly, the winds and the rain of life beat on everyone's house. You know, you notice there it said that the person who obeyed the words of God, the words of Jesus, the winds and rain beat on that house. The person who did not obey, the winds and rain still beat on that house. And so, basically, that's a picture of the reality that we all go through difficult seasons in our life. We're all going to go through challenges. You know, there is a brand of Christianity that has been around for decades and decades that basically says, kind of, can kind of make people believe that when they become a Christian... It's kind of like a ticket to an, an easy life. Anybody ever heard something like that? Maybe shades of that? Hey, you, you, you follow Jesus and, and everything's going to be okay. You know, you give, give money and, and, and God's going to take care of you. And you, you, you give to this TV preacher. You do this, you do that. You check, you check off all your boxes. Things are going to be okay. And you know, that's not the reality of our life, right? You know, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the reason why we live in a broken world in the next lesson. But... That's not a reality of our life. We suffer in this life, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. So for, for some of you here that maybe you're new to the faith, just want to warn you right now, it's not going to be easy. God, Jesus never promised this life would be easy, but he, but, but he promised that he would be with us. He promised that he would never leave us nor, nor forsake us. And so what, what, what can happen is, is when the winds and the rain beat on our life, if we don't have a solid foundation, then we, we, we start pointing fingers. We, we start saying, well, well this, is, this is that person's fault. This is God's fault. God, why did you let this happen in my life? Why did you allow my loved one to get sick? Why did you allow me to get laid off my, of my job? Why didn't you stop that, God? If you're powerful enough, you could have stopped those things. And so when our foundation, if we have a foundational belief system that says that I trust God, I believe in God, well, I shouldn't have to go through that, then when we do go through it, when we do go through pain and suffering in this life, then our faith is attacked. Then we start doubting the truthfulness of God and His Word. We start doubting His faithfulness. So we have to understand that we have to see God correctly. We have to have a right foundation of who God is. The winds and rain of this life, as it says in your notes, will beat on both houses. But only the house founded on the Word of God will stand. So, we're going to lay a foundation. We're going to lay a foundation in these six weeks. That I, I think is just a, fun, a basic fundamental understanding of who God is and who we are in Christ. But one of the first things we have to do to lay a foundation, we have to start at the beginning. We must answer, this is in your notes here, we must answer the question of origin. Where did the universe come from? How did it get here? When was it created? Why are we here? 
How were we created? We must begin in Genesis. So if we're going to start at the beginning, this is, a foundational, this is the foundational belief of why we're here. We have to start in Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. And so Genesis 1.1, and of course, we're not going to get too deep into uh, uh, detailing creation and, and, and all of that, but we're going to cover one verse in, in Genesis. And it's the most important verse in all of Scripture. This gives us the beginning of our origin. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, what's the next word there? God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot, there's lots of things that, that that verse does not say. It does not say, in the beginning, there was a cosmic accident. And a molecule, billions and billions of years ago, exploded and set off a series of explosions that eventually led to organized creation. That doesn't say that there. It says, in the, in the beginning, God, He created. It's a very important word. He created. It wasn't the result of a cosmic accident. It wasn't the result of, of, of uh, uh, a series of, of accidental things that took place that things evolved and then evolved and then you have all this complex creation in, in universe and created beings. It says, in the beginning, God created. And so, that is the fundamental belief for us as believers in the Word of God. That Genesis 1.1 sets us as human beings on a trajectory to view the world completely different than everyone else. You know, people who don't believe in God, people who, who don't believe that there is a God, who believe that this is all a cosmic accident, they see the world completely different than we do. Their whole perspective is different. I mean, think about that. Because we believe there is a God... Because we believe that we are uniquely created. Because we believe that God is the one who set the sun, the moon, and the stars in the heavens. Because we believe that God is the one who ordered creation. Then everything we see in this life is completely different. And so what I call that is, is, is I call that our worldview. What is your worldview? How do you see the world? What is the lens with which you see the world through? You know, if you see the world through a lens of no creator... You see the world through a lens of everything's a cosmic a accident, then there's consequences to seeing the world through those lenses. Then, then that means that your life really ultimately is just the result of a cosmic accident. You just come from, you know, Estelle and I, we went to visit Washington, D.C., and we went through, to, through the history, the Museum of Natural History. And uh, it was really a nice museum, but I was aggravated the whole time because you walk in through the door. And this is their this is their worldview. This is their lens. This is this is the hub of America, right? Washington D.C. This is where ideas are shaped. You go through the you go through, you walk through the door before you go through the first exhibit. There's a big sign that says, "Welcome to um, your welcome to seeing your ancestors. Welcome to uh, welcome to visiting your family or something like that." And so I'm walking through. I'm like. I'm about to go visit a bunch of animals and they're telling me that this is where I came from. And it was exhibit after exhibit of trying to demonstrate how we came from animals. And there was actually, I took a picture on my phone. I should have had it. Maybe I'll do a slide next time. I'll, I'll build some slides, Chuck. But I, I never know what I'm going to say completely. So this is totally random. But I took a picture and they had this picture, this diagram, this uh, painting of a monkey hanging on a tree. And it had fingers and toes. And then it had a picture of a little girl hanging on a tree with fingers and toes. And it showed all the, all the similarities between the monkey and the girl. And so I just, I'm thinking to myself, I've, I've never just looked at a monkey and looked at a human and thought, oh, they must have 
came from each other. Like, yeah, I mean, the monkey can hang from a tree and a human can hang from a tree, but does it, that's a huge stretch to say that they're my ancestors, right? There's lots of animals who can hang from trees, right? It doesn't mean that they're my ancestor. So the lens with which you see the world, it shapes everything. So it's so important that as Christians, we believe the word of God. And actually, there's evidence to prove that God's word is true. You know, we could, we could go through tons of evidence. You know, there's a, there's a scripture. I just want to read the scripture and then we'll, I'll, I'll expound on some things here. But Psalms 139 points to the fact that, that we were created. It's there in your notes. It says, for you, were, for you formed, speaking about God, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. doesn't say that we evolved from monkeys. It says, I will, he, God formed our parts. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was that hidden from you when I was made in secret. Secretly hidden in your mother's womb. Skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. That speaks of purpose, right? Not random chance. It says all the days of my life were fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. It means God knew us. He created us. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. Good morning. If you guys want to, grab, you guys want to grab, grab a book. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. So this is what we, we, this is what we believe. This is, we believe that an all-knowing and an all-loving God created all that we see, including you and me, for a purpose. So here's one of the major flaws of the idea that everything is... Random chance. So one of the major flaws of the theory of evolution is not taking into consideration the complexities of creation. If you see, there's a website at the bottom of the page there. It says answersingenesis.org. It is a really great resource for facts and proofs of creation. The biblical account of creation. Answersingenesis.org. The, the, the founder of that ministry, his name is Dr. Ken Ham. And uh, he has spent his life, along with other doc, uh, 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 scientists and biologists who have spent their life studying creation, and they give great proofs for a, a creation versus evolution reality. And so answers in Genesis. But just, just from a, a, a layman's perspective, I'm not a scientist or a biologist, I don't have a doctorate degree in any of those areas, but just looking at the, the ordered creation that we have, you know, it would be a real stretch for anybody to look up at the sun and the moon and the stars to see the complexities of creation and to say, you know what? This had to have all been the result of an accident. You know, the, the book of Romans chapter 1, has anybody ever seen in, in that section where it talks about a group of people that are sinful? It says that they do all these things. They, they ignore God and they live sinfully. And, they, and it says that they're doing something in, in their sinful lifestyle in the book of Romans it says that they are suppressing the truth. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So they're choosing to live unrighteously and they're suppressing a truth. So what is the truth that they are suppressing? And it goes on to say that what can be clearly seen, what is obvious is that God created everything that we see. And so they are suppressing that clear, obvious truth that there, that there is a God based upon everything that we see. We see there is a God because creation shouts that there is a God. The complexities of our human body and how they're intricately woven and how every part is dependent upon the other is a proof 
that there is one major proof that there is a God. This is not the result of a cosmic accident. We did not evolve from primates. We are created by an all-knowing, all-loving God. You know, some, some people give this simple argument for the proof of a creator. You know, if you were walking through the woods and you stumbled upon a watch, you know, like an old-fashioned watch, one of those ones that were that you would wear, that the guys would wear like a pocket watch with a chain on it and you could see in to all the parts, all the little the little screws and the little levers and the little things that make it work and you stumbled upon it and you picked it up and you looked at it, you would never say, 100% of the time, you would never say, nobody would ever say, oh, that, that, that just happened to come together like that. You would, you would think, somebody created that. Your, your first thought would have to be, first of all, who did it belong to? And then you would think, how did that, how did, who, who made that? This is such an amazing creation. Your thought would never be it happened, but happened, would have to be an accident that it all came together. Because of all the detail, because of all the, the intricate parts it takes to make that work. The same is true. It's, it'd be true of a car engine. You'd never look at a car engine and say, oh, all these parts came together to work just right, so when I put my key in the ignition and I turn it, it's going to turn on. You would never think that that was just, just something blew up one day and all the parts came together and it works, it works perfectly for me to drive my car. You'd never think that, right? Would you? I bet you would. You would think there has to be a creator. And so that, that's just a, a fundamental view of the reality that we, have to, that we see the world differently than those who don't see God as creator. You know, there's so many people that look at Genesis 1-1 and, 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 and they don't see what we see. And so I just encourage you, go to AnswersInGenesis.org. It's such a great site. And actually the scripture that I referenced earlier is Romans 1, 18-23. So we'll, we'll, we'll read that section. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. How is God clearly seen? He's understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The, the, the Bible says in the book of Psalms that only a fool says in his heart there is no God. They became fools by suppressing that truth. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And later on it says that they worshipped, they desired to worship created things over the Creator. So when you have a, a worldview that there is no God, there is no Creator, we're here by happenstance and by random chance then you don't see the world the way we do it. And so, so we, it, but, but, but for someone who doesn't see the world like we do, it takes them to suppress that truth. It is obvious. It is obvious. And so what, what ends up happening? You, you're going to worship something, right? If there is no all-knowing creator, an all-loving creator, and you don't believe that he exists because, it's because of maybe the difficult things you go through in your life, you suppress that truth that creation is shouting to you. You're going to worship something. And this is what it says there. It says that they, they, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So they worship created things. They worship themselves. They worship their career, their job. They worship money. They worship possessions. 
They're gonna, people are going to worship something. They're going to worship something. With God as, as creator at the center of our worldview, the way in which we see the world around us changes. Having a biblical worldview simply means that as Christians, we see the world around us filtered through the lens of God's word. Filtered, that, is so, that is so important as Christians that we see our world filtered through the lens of God's word. With God at the center of our understanding of creation, every area of our life is impacted. So I just asked a question there in, in your notes. What areas are impacted if we have a God-centered worldview, a biblical worldview? What areas are impacted? Number one, our value of human life. If we believe that God is creator, if we believe in Genesis 1-1, and you go, in, you go on into Genesis about the creation of man, if we believe that God created man, and that we are created in God's image, then that means that life is valuable. That means every life is valuable. That means that at conception, if you want to know why Christians, why as believers we should care about being pro-life, we should care about the unborn, that means that according to Psalms 139, before, I was, before my children were even formed in my wife's womb, God knew them and called them. And God knew that they were going to be there. So that means that whenever my Joel and my Eliana were in, Estelle's womb. That means that God had a plan for them. And that means that they are valuable at conception. And that's why the, the value of human life changes. But if, if you have a worldview that doesn't center on God, and you have a basic belief that, that everything is a cosmic accident, then life doesn't have value. But when, when, life doesn't have value. So you have to ask the question, when does life start to have value? And so, so it's just amazing what, what people can, can do. And they can terminate life right before birth and they can say that that life before it leaves the womb is not valuable but you can take for example a couple in our church Sean and Becky Mesh their baby was born at 28 weeks 28 29 weeks was a pound and a couple ounces was like this small was translucent in some way you know and it was just was barely making it and they're going to be here this morning I'm pretty sure and they're going to walk in with that baby Samantha in a car seat, and she's fine. She's fine. She's per perfectly healthy. But some people would have said, would have told them, you know, that baby's going to, and they actually did, that baby's <coughs> going to have Down syndrome, that baby's not going to survive. It might be better if you were to terminate that life. But Samantha's going to grow up, and is going to be an awesome woman. It's gonna be a, it's gonna, she might get married one day and have kids of her own. So if you see the world through the lens of a creator, that God, you, 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 you acknowledge the obvious. And that means every life from conception is valuable. <coughs> Secondly, our view of marriage is different. We, we view marriage differently. Why do we view marriage differently? Well, because my spouse is another person created in God's image. You know, some, sometimes when you're in marriage, you've been married long enough, you, you realize that after the honeymoon that things aren't always a honeymoon. As you go through difficulty. And so when I'm arguing with my wife and I'm disagreeing with her, you know what helps me? Is that whenever I, because I see my life and my world through the lens of God's word, and I understand that, that the human beings are created in God's image, then I realize when I'm arguing with my wife, I'm arguing with somebody else who has the image of God. I'm arguing with a fellow image bearer of God who is intricately valuable. That God has given a brain. And that that brain can think differently than my brain. And that she can disagree with me, and that's okay. I may think I'm right, and she may think she's right, but my opinion and her opinion, they're both valid. 
And so it changes the way you view your marriage, that your spouse is valuable. And you realize that we're called to display God's image to the world, to display His glory as an image bearer of God. Thirdly, what, what other areas impacted him? We kind of talked about this from the perspective of birth and conception. But thirdly, our responsibility as parents, we see it differently. We're called to nurture and discipline them. But specifically, pointing back to Psalms 139, what God's Word said about children, says that, that the days of their life were numbered even before they took shape. So what that says to me is, is that my, my son Joel and my daughter Eliana and Reagan, they all have a unique purpose that God has given them. And so I just don't look at raising my children as simply survival. I just got to give them food and just got to make sure they don't kill themselves by falling off of their bike or, you know, hurting each other. I got to keep them alive. I realize that they were created by God with a unique purpose. So that changes the way I view them. And I view them as a, God, as a God-given responsibility to nurture and to see the God-given calling in their life to come to, fru- to fru- fruition. So it changes the way we look at raising children. Children are not a burden. Children are a blessing. They're a burden if they're an accident, right? They're a burden if there's no real purpose to who they are. But they're a responsibility and a privilege if we, if, if we believe what's true, which is that they are given to us by God. And then lastly, what area is impacted? Our involvement in the body of Christ, being called to serve. So let's just take this back broadly to the body of Christ. You start seeing your involvement in church completely different when you see that God is the creator of everyone. So that means when you come to church, you realize that the person sitting next to you is an image bearer of God with a unique purpose and calling, going through, going through unique challenges in your life. And so that means when you sit next to them Sunday after Sunday, because some people sit in the same seats, sit next to the same people, sometimes you sit next to people you don't even talk to. And they might be a couple seats down. You don't even know who they are. But whenever you see your world through the lens of God's Word and that people are valuable because they're made in God's image, then you know that they are unique and they have unique callings and giftings and who they are is valuable. And so it's, it calls you, it, it, it challenges you to stretch out of your comfort zone to go and shake someone's hand and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How can I get to know you? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? You see that your involvement in the body of Christ is interconnected with fellow image bearers. Amen? Amen. So it's so important. So this is the fundamental basics. This is the basics of the first lesson. That we, we have to, as Christians, understand that we see the world different than non-believers. We just fundamentally do. And it changes, it changes the way we see the world. And so I've got this at the bottom of the last page. There's this worldview grid. And so, you know, there's basically four big questions in life that people ask. It says, one of them is, where did I come from? How, how did I get here? Where did I come from? What's wrong with the world? People look at the world and they say, oh, my goodness, look at the chaos. What happened to this world? And then, is there a solution? It's an obvious question. Is there a solution? And then, Lastly, what is my purpose? Everyone asks that question. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Why all this evil? Why all this chaos? And then is there a solution? And if you see there, there's different worldviews and the different ways they try to answer that. And here's the answer from the biblical worldview. Where did it come from? Creation. Created in the image of God. What's wrong with the world? The fall. Original sin. And then human responsibility. Is there a solution? Atonement through Christ's death and resurrection. 
Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve as human, sinful human beings. And there is, a, there is a, a solution. That as people surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, their perspectives and their worlds change and their desires change. And the more people that love God and love Christ and surrender to his Lordship, the, the more people that strive to do good and live good and honor him. And then what is my purpose? Doing God's will and help restore the fallen world. But if you look through all the other views, what are, what are the answers? Secular naturalism. Uh, what, where, where did I come from? Their answer is undirected evolution, time and chance. What's wrong with the world? I'm not responsible. It's all about genes. It's all about the fact that some people are made evil and some people aren't. And then if that's not, if that's not good enough, it's not in the genes, then society corrupts people. It's a corrupt society who corrupts people, who makes them, who, that influences them to do things that are bad. Of course, that always leads me to the question of, well, how, who corrupted this society? Where did the corruption come from? And that goes back to the biblical worldview, original sin, the fall of man. And so you just, you, you can read that later, but each, each of these answers does not satisfy the heart of, of human beings. All the answers from the other worldviews, only the biblical worldview makes sense. Honestly, only the biblical worldview that is the creator, because it is plain for all of us to see. And so, that's, that's the first lesson. And so, I just want to know if you have any questions, any uh, comments, things you want to add, any questions, thoughts. Don't, don't be afraid to ask any questions. If I don't have an answer, I'll tell you I don't have an answer. And there's no dumb questions. Anybody have any comments? I just one thing I was thinking of while you were uh, talking about having a worldview is that you know the consequences is we it changes our God awareness. I remember becoming Christian and I just everything all my thoughts were directed towards the Lord like this person got sick. Oh, I want to pray. Before that, it wasn't an automatic response, but because I'm aware of God involved in my life, then the response is changed. So this person's sick. I want to pray for them. I'm going through this difficult time. I want to ask God for his strength and then ask him, what are you teaching me through this? How can I be refined through this? So I think it just the awareness of who God is and the God consciousness is changed when you have that. Thing changes when you, when you, uh, when you come to realize, first of all, there is a God, and then our next lesson, the, the, the study on justification, becoming a, a Christian, what it looks like to, be, to become a Christian, when you become a Christian, then, I mean, it changes everything, how you see people, how you see the world, how you respond to situations. You just start seeing things differently. There's so many people that we've come in contact with at Living Word Church over, over the years of just us being here. I can only speak about my seven years here. But so many people that have come, they can't, they, they'll, they'll walk into the church on a Sunday morning, and they don't, sometimes don't even know why they're here. They just they saw the church and they just showed up one Sunday, or m- maybe a friend invited them, and they and or, or a family member, and they didn't even want to come, but they came, and then all of a sudden they come in to encounter a real God, and they sense His presence, and they hear His word taught, and they realize something's different, something's missing in my life, 
And the, the Holy Spirit begins to work through the seed of God's Word to awaken them to the reality that they need a Savior, to awaken them to the reality that they are sinful and they need to repent of their sins. And, 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 and then once they become a Christian, we have seen so many people, it's like, they, I've heard that say like, I don't even know, I don't know how I lived before. I don't even know how I saw the world before. This is completely different. Everything I see is different. The way I work, the way I see my job, the way I see my wife, the way I see my kids, the, the way, like Estelle said, when I see that someone is sick, I just want to pray for them. When people are talking to me about their struggles, I want to tell them that there's an answer. Like, everything instantly changes. And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's Word said it, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In Corinthians, it says that when we are born again, that we are made new creations it's not just this propping up religion where we kind of patch you up and fix all your little mess ups and make you a better person christianity is the religion of dying and resurrection dying to your old man your old ways and being resurrected so that's why when you become a christian why you see things different because you're new you're a new person you might look the same smell the same you might live in the same house you might think some of the same thoughts you might even think some of your old bad thoughts but we're going to get into a lesson in in week three about what god does about those bad thoughts and those bad habits he helps us to mature in christ through the process of sanctification so it's so good it's your worldview is so important amen again you know what i was thinking when you said it doesn't matter before you know Christ and after you know Christ, you're still going to have struggles. And, and, and knowing Christ doesn't mean you have a panacea for an easy life afterwards. But yet you do. There's this comfort. I've, I've faced probably the worst struggles in my life uh, since I was born again. But... It, it was my my biggest fear was to lose my husband. And when I did lose him, there was this peace that came over me because I knew that God was right there beside me saying, okay, it's time for you to grow and to do things. And, and, and you're going to be able to struggle. I, you know, I was going to be able to live. And for 56 years, I had never been alone. You know, never had to live by myself. And um, that was my big fear and um, quite frankly I, I sleep with God every night and um, it's uh, there's a comfort to that and it does make you approach life so much differently and um, you know I always say for my doubting friends that I would much rather believe in Christ and believe in his existence and know that he's present in my life and be wrong when I get to heaven and find out there is no heaven, whatever. I'd rather believe it now than not believe it and find out I was wrong. Because it has offered this great peace. It's kind of like going to your big daddy and saying, Hey, Dad, I messed up. Here's what I did. And my dad always made everything all right. And, and that's what God does. I appreciate you sharing. It's so true. You know, my, my statement that how do we handle suffering? I think it's what she said is so true that you you are different when you're a Christian. No, you know, we, we, we do not believe that we're not going to suffer 
as Christians. We know we are, but we are never the same because we do have a peace because God is with us. Wednesday about what our kids are going through right now in our culture, you know, from the youngest age through our teenagers, what they deal with and what they're exposed to. And I I just was thinking as they were all talking, you know, when you think about reaching unchurched people when the church talks about we're going to reach unchurched people, a lot of times you think going to the jungles of somewhere in some foreign country to reach unchurched people. That's not the same as it used to be. We don't have to go very far. I can, I can leave my front door and go walk a couple houses down, and I might run into some unchurched people. Because the more and more in our culture where Christianity is, views, is viewed as being marginalized and, and Christians are, are pushed into the corner because of our truth claims, we, are, we, we claim to, that Jesus is the way to salvation, that he is the only way. And so as that, as we continue to be bold as, as, as a church and Christianity is marginalized, then there will be more and more people who grow up in homes where their parents just don't go to church for various reasons. Maybe they don't agree with, with Christianity. Maybe they've experienced loss and pain. And so they say, I'm not going to believe in a God. I'm not going to raise my kids in church. And so there are so many people, just like you said, they just, they, they, they aren't taught. But it starts with somebody who looks at the obvious and says, there is a God. This can't be an accident. And that triggers them. And that sets them on a path of pursuing God. Who is God? And then the gospel gets preached to them. And they see that God, that Jesus is God. And they, they become Christians. And then they teach their kids that, hey, kids, look at the obvious. God and his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for us. So it starts, I, I do believe it starts with our children. Amen. Anybody else? Still got a few minutes. It's only 916. And I find myself looking back while I know I'm changed and I could have been so much of a better wife, better mother, better neighbor. It's hard to look back because I can't go back and change that. I can only go forward. But... I find myself looking back a lot. Mm-hmm. But i got to keep my eyes in here. Mm-hmm. I bet you mistake and some encouragement to you. Maybe you often talk later. When did your husband pass away? Uh, about a year ago. 
and but in response to that too, one of yeah. the thing about um, Christianity is he makes all things new, and there is a specific purpose that he's calling to young young women need to hear your story that I didn't do these things right, but this is what I know now, and they need that encouragement. So there's always a place God always redeems our brokenness and our hurt, and the you know the pain and the mistakes we're passing always can redeem it and use it um, to help others and bring the glory. Could have had more patience because he, he had a, he was in a plane crash and he had post traumatic stress. And I knew I could have had more patience and, um, and shown him, you know. Yeah, that I mean, I think we, when we become a Christian, if you have length of time before your Christian experience as an adult, yeah, you're, you're going to have that. You're going to think back. I should have, would have, could have done all those things. But Scripture tells us that when you become a Christian, all things are made new. That all the, the sins of your past, the shortcomings of your past, God's forgiven those. And God wants to help you to carry that burden of guilt. He wants to free you of that guilt. You have to feel that. And I think, I think this take can be encouragement. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if we if we thought about all of our sins, and the, the cumulative effect of our sins, can't bear that. It, w- it would crush us. So powerful about the gospel is that the Bible says in Isaiah 53, Prophet Isaiah says that it will of the Lord to crush Jesus. So on the cross, when he was crushed, he was crushed for us. So that our sin and the weight of it would would crush us. Took that on himself for us so we don't have to live with shame from our past free and healed and forgiven yeah I would like to I'll see what you're saying about you're about to be a really awesome testimony to me <laughs> so, so, yeah, be encouraged mm-hmm. well, I just thank you for this precious time that we've had just talking about your word and God, even encouraging each other. I pray for every person that's here. I pray that you minister to them through the rest of the service. I thank you, Lord, that everyone at the different stages that they're in, in their life, in their Christian walk, God, I pray that you would help them all to grow and to mature, become more like Christ. Just thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of us. pray, Lord, that you help us to continue look like you, to talk like you, to think like you, serve others, to love others. Thank you for what you're doing at Living Word Church and the purpose and the plans. How these, these people here have a part of that purpose. And God, you're going to raise them up to be an integral part of what's going on. Amen. Amen. All right, well, next week we will talk about the doctrine of justification.